BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman, and today is a bonus episode with listener questions and responses. But what's fun about today is that I am trying out doing a live listener Q&A instead of reading them. So I have Zoe Winkler Rhinus, who is a mom of three. And so she has a four-year-old, a six-year-old, and a 10-year-old to give you a sense of the conversation. And we are covering topics, including dealing with different ages and play dates and how to and whether to keep, for example, the 10-year-olds with each other and separated from the younger kids, even if the younger kids want to be there. We're talking about what to do with a highly sensitive kid who gets upset, disproportionate to what's going on and how to navigate that in a sensitive way. We're talking about crying as a means to getting what you want. We're talking about transitioning from a four-year-old coming into the bed at night to sleeping independently and big feelings. If you enjoy this episode and the style of doing the bonus episodes in a live conversation, let me know. You can always DM me or write them if it's nice (laughs) as a review on Apple Podcasts. DM me on at Raising Good Humans Podcasts. You can sign up for my bulletin, draliza.bulletin.com for premium subscribers. We're going to be doing live Q&As and the free subscription just has more content that supports these conversations and you. I remember when the boys were little and something would stress me out and parents would always say to me, other parents would be like, bigger kids, bigger problems. And I would think that they were insane. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so focused on sleep and eating and are they pooping and you know the terrible twos or whatever. But I kind of get it because as they're getting older, the questions and the decisions I make feel more important because they're going to remember these decisions. And Mm. I'm more, you know, where I could sort of be like, no, the park is closed. I can't do that anymore. So those two years were kind of just a mess. And now that we're getting sort of back into the swing of what life was, I guess, some of the things that we used to 
help us get through the last two and a half years sort of have to be shifted now, like Mm -hmm. iPads and screen time and all that kind of stuff. So that's like a big discussion in our home. Mm -hmm. I think that's universally happening. And for Ace, my older one, it's not even a conversation because he is like not really that interested and does a million other activities after school and sports. But for my younger ones, it's become a crutch. And I really need help sort of phasing that out of our lives. Okay. So for the four and six-year-old. Yeah. So like for the six-year-old, we just put a timer on the iPad. So he has an hour and 15 minutes every day and then it just shuts off. Okay. And how does he handle that? He handles it well, but the four-year-old just is like, I can't eat without watching my iPad. Mm -hmm. And so when you say he can't eat, he says he can't eat without watching his iPad. So what happens? Oh, I give him the iPad. So he eats. That's what I was gathering. Oh yeah. It's super complicated. I give him the iPad. (laughs) (laughs) Are you looking to not give him the iPad? I am. Yeah. (laughs) But what's stopping you? The discomfort of the few days of him being super upset. Does he melt down? Or you don't know? He has real meltdowns. He's the youngest and he has really big meltdowns. And then the other day he said to me, like mid meltdown, crying gets me what I want. Well, that's wonderful. He just handed you your information. Right. That's so extraordinary because there's so much, you know, of our own like conversations about the the feelings beneath the behavior, which I deeply believe. And there's so much about not doing behavior, just behavior modification with kids because it doesn't acknowledge the feelings. Mm -hmm. But Gus is like, hey, it's about the behavior. I really just, I'm telling you, I'm being very straightforward. I cry, you give me what I want. We'll continue this. Yeah. So there's something so beautiful and safe about that to me because you don't have to wonder what the feelings are beneath the behavior. He's giving you a roadmap. What I'm hearing is that he's like, I've learned that when I cry, I'm going to get what I want. So this is how we're going to do this. And he knows that you're sensitive and loving and he's your baby and you don't want him to be under super distress. And there's so much, you know, guilt from the insanity of the world. Mm-hmm. So how comfortable are you saying to him when he's super calm, not in the heat of the moment, not when it's about the iPad, I want to figure out a better plan for the iPad and eating. From now on, we're not going to have iPad time during meals, but I will give you the option of a 20 minute show before or after the meal. Which one do you prefer? Definitely comfortable with that. And I'm ready to do that. It just means that like, I can never give him like, cause I was going to say like on the weekends, they can watch a show. Like if we go out to dinner, right. You want to have them have like, is that okay to have it be never except for when we go out or no, is that too confusing? No, I mean, it depends on a child's temperament. I mean, nothing is never, but it's always easier to say, First, we're going to do it this way. And then when you get really good at that and you can really handle it, we're going to pick a new plan. We're going to shift it a little bit and say that we're going to make an exception when 
mom and dad go out for dinner. Okay. And you don't want to do that until you know he can handle it. But once he can handle that, you know your six-year-old can because you you know the older kids can because they've shown you that they know how to adapt to the different rules. It's just a question of if your four-year-old can handle that. You know who's not good at discipline? Me and my dog. (laughs) I have another question about my four-year-old. So I've never had a child sleep in bed with us. And like a year ago, Gus started coming into our room in the middle of the night. And it was fine because he would just like kind of sneak in the bed and just go back to sleep. But now a lot of times he moves around a lot and he's getting bigger. And so it's been a year that he literally, he'll start in his bed and then come into ours. And I know how to sleep train a kid when they're a baby, but I don't know how to get Gus out of my bed. Okay. So it's easier to get out of a kid's room than it is to get a kid out of your room. So there are two routes you could go, but I mean, this is just like going to be a real commitment in terms of your sleep life for the next couple of weeks. Okay. But what you can say to Gus is we're going to work on getting you to sleep in your room instead of in our room. And so we're going to start by putting you to bed in your room and I'm going to sleep in there. Does he come into your room or does he start in your room? Oh no, he comes into our room. He starts in his room. Okay, so he knows how to go to sleep. Well, I have to sit in there until he falls asleep. Ah, okay. Do you mind that? If it's something you don't mind, you can keep doing it. No, I don't mind that. Okay. So I would put, do you have an an ability to have like comfortable blow-up mattress or something in his room? I'll order one. Okay. So if you can put a little blow-up mattress in his room and you say to him, when you wake up, I will come into your room, but you're not to come sleep in our room. We're going to just change that a little bit. And I'll come into your room and we're going to work on getting you to stay in your room when you wake up. So now this is the part that stinks because that means you have to get up, which I totally understand if you're like, I'd rather just sleep with my son for the next five years. (laughs) <laughs> but I mean, like, is, is there going to be a point? I mean, he's, he's going to be five in May. I can do it for a little bit longer, but I'm going to need him to sleep in his bed at some point. No. Once a child is comfortable sleeping in your bed, they don't typically choose not to sleep in your bed until they're ready to masturbate or have privacy. I'm sorry to say oh, that. Thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how long will that be? I don't, I'm confused. Like, It'll be a while. It could be, be like, be like sleeping in my bed at 10 years old. For sure. I think anybody listening who has a kid who was sleeping in their bed at four and didn't do anything about it and has a 10-year-old is nodding. For sure. Horrible. This is horrible news. <laughs> so it's typically not something to grow out of quickly. It's something you grow out of over a very long period of time. So that's why, and, and again, there's nothing wrong with it. The most important thing is consolidated sleep. It's not where you sleep. So I'm not suggesting that people who are choosing to co-sleep should stop. But for those who are not choosing to, where it's like you're kind of like a prisoner. I'm not choosing it. And it's affecting my sleep and I'm exhausted and cranky. And that's what you can say to him. We need to figure out a, a new plan because you've been sleeping in our room and it's very snuggly and I love you very much, but I need good sleep so I can be a good mom. And okay. so when you wake up, instead of you coming into our room, 
we're going to go into your room. And then over time, you know, over the course of a month, every few days, you move the mattress further and further out until it's in the hallway. And then it's just not there anymore. And if you don't want to do it that way, you can always just sit in a chair. The mattress is for you if you're exhausted and you're like, I'm not sitting in a chair for two hours while I wait for him to go back to sleep. But the other thing to do is set up a brave box for him with things that will help him stay in his room so that he has something to look at when he wakes up and he's like, I really want to go into my mom's room. And I'm sorry to discount dad. <laughs> him yeah. too. I'm sure he's excited. Not about him. No. <laughs> and so he has like a t-shirt of yours, anything that sort of makes him feel safe pictures and he can get up and look at them, but he has to stay in his room. And the third thing is that you can say to him, let's practice going to sleep with you falling asleep on your own. Cause part of this, it, I mean, it's like I run a zoo. There's dogs <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> There's no space for quiet because I have too many animals. I did read a new study that says that, that pet owners have less cognitive decline in old age. So I think we're in good, good shape. Oh, so the third, <laughs> the third thing is that you need to teach him how to fall asleep on his own because part of it is that when he wakes up, he needs to go through that same process. Something isn't regulating in him on his own to fall back asleep. And once he learns how to do it at bedtime, he'll be able to do it again at wake up time. And there is the option of a reward system. I think that that- care. Like he doesn't exactly. care. Usually that, the incentive doesn't typically work for kids for whom it's like an emotional thing. I've said to him before, like, you know, you can get the Barbie dream house. And he was like, just get it for me for my birthday. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, moving on. Okay, moving on next. About my older boys. So when they have a play date, you know, at our house, Ace is my oldest. He wants like an alone play date, which Mm -hmm. is hard when you have a house full of kids. And then Jules always wants to play with, Ace and his friends. Right. And I never know, like, what is the line there? Like, am I to ask Ace to include Jules? Am I to split the play date in half? What is the right thing with that? My kids a lot of time ask for alone time um, with their friends or, you know, like yesterday, for instance, Jules had baseball practice and Ace really wanted to go because he didn't have anything after school. And Ace, Jules was said, you know, I really, I just want to go to practice with dad. And I let him have that. Yeah. Two schools of thought. And then it's kind of whatever makes you feel most comfortable. One school of thought is like, we don't have the luxury. Kids need to adapt to being able to tag along, do whatever. And it's just part of the deal when you have three kids. Mm-hmm. Another school of thought is, give, make sure that you talk to them. Like you can go over the schedule of the weekend, say, pick one thing that's yours. That is in the category of something you guys can control. Like it's something that's feasible for you and Rob. And in that case, like pick the thing that you want as your, your alone activity. And if you want dad to take you to baseball practice by yourself, that can be arranged. And if it's disappointing to ACE, 
then Ace has to sit with being disappointed. And it's a real gift to teach it in small doses at a younger age that it's not just about experiencing the feeling. It's experiencing the feeling and seeing that your parents aren't worried that you're having that feeling. Because part of it is, it's not just teaching kids to expand their window of tolerance for discomfort. It's about teaching kids that their parents who love them and who want to make sure they're safe, feel safe with their disappointment, that those feelings aren't scary. And so it would be the same thing with the play date. There's a school of thought that is, you know, lump all the kids in together, mixed ages, do your thing. This is life. I tend to think that the reality, certainly in Western families, is there's a lot of individualism. There's a lot of you know, separation by age. And there are many benefits to both of those things. So I think you can absolutely say you're 10 years old. It's very reasonable that you would want to have a play date with your friends doing 10 year old activities that aren't necessarily fun to do with your little brother. As long as we plan it in advance so that I can warn your brother, this is not time for him to participate with you. That's totally fair. And then you just have to tell Jules and Gus Right now, your brother and his friends have an agreement that they're going to do their own thing. And so when you feel like hanging out with them, come and let me know and we'll find an alternative. And that's going to be disappointing and they're going to not like it. And that's absolutely fine. It's hard because Jules sort of just wants to skip being six and be 10. Right. He does not. He tells me that he doesn't like his school. He just wants to go to second. Everything is like for Jules, for everything for Jules is like, I want to move. I don't want to stay where I am. Like, like the future I don't want to be better. Right. I, I want to be in second grade. And it's like, okay, well, you're in first grade. And in order to get to second grade, we need to learn all the things we need to learn in first grade. And he just wants to skip life kind of. Yeah. Well, sometimes it's, it feels like there's just greener pastures. So is there a comfortable way? To, do you feel comfortable saying to him, Jules, I know you really want to play with these guys and you, you don't want to do six-year-old things. That that's hard because you have a 10 year old brother and it makes sense. And also here are your options and then give him what he can do. And then again, it's a bummer. He's going to be disappointed. I don't think you need to reason your way out of it because he's feeling not reasoning. So of course he knows intellectually he has to finish first grade to get to second, but that doesn't get rid of the feeling. He wants to constantly talk about his feelings too, Jules. Oh, um, so he... So I'm glad you said that. In some families, talking about feelings is really important because it's not going to happen otherwise. Knowing your family, feelings are definitely going to get talked about. And there's that other risk of co-ruminating where you're talking about feelings so much that instead of teaching, we, we have our feelings, we feel them, and then we can put them aside so they don't interrupt our day or become ruminating thoughts. That's what's happening with Jules. He's doing that. He's not able to put his feelings aside. So this sounds very clinical, but if you just set a timer and say, we're going to talk about our worries, we have 10 minutes, tell me all of it. And then when the, when the timer goes off and there are two really good timers, one that shows the color, it's like a timer that shows red so that the red gets smaller and smaller. And one is a sand timer. Those show very visually kind of what to expect. And when the timer goes off, even if he's in the middle of a real spiral, say, I heard all of this. I'm so glad we had this conversation. Let's put it aside in our worry box and we'll take it out tomorrow. 
but like make sure you take it out. So even if he's in a great mood the next day and not upset about anything or wanting to talk about feelings, you're saying this is our time that we set aside. And there are studies that show that people, not just kids, but people who set aside time to really dive in and then get out of it, do better. And we know that ruminate, like co-ruminating is very fun with your friends. But once you start to see that it's like the repeating of the same thing over and over without a solution or an interest in change, it's not productive and it's not soothing. Okay. Ace told me the other day that his friends at school like make fun of him because he's so sensitive and that he always thought being sensitive was a really great thing, but now he's feeling like maybe it's not. And I want to tell him, you know, I'm extremely sensitive and I understand exactly how he feels. And I want to explain to him that being sensitive is actually an incredible quality. I also want to somehow get through to him that like not everything someone says is meant to hurt him. Um, he gets his feelings hurt super easily. We are the same person. I was about to say. It's really hard for me to sort of like parent myself because I want to just like jump in there and like save him from the pain and like the ruminating over sort of like how you've been wronged (laughs) Um, and sort of the victim mentality because I know that space very well. Mm-hmm. but also honor sort of how he feels. And I'm really struggling with that. <sighs> <laughs> no, my sigh was just, I, you know, I'm interested in reminding you how your parents coped with when you felt like people, I think you brought up 12 different important things. One of them was you feel like you're parenting yourself. And I'm wondering. I have such empathy for my mom. I thought she was, you know, such a bitch. And now I'm just like, oh my God, how did you deal with me? I don't even know. Like I would have just like dropped me off at a corner. I mean, it's exhausting. And like, it is all consuming. And I have tremendous empathy for my mom. So tell me how she dealt with those moments when you just felt... Like you're, you had the big feelings. I think she was patient to a point and then just sort of was like, this is bananas. I can't, you know, I can't. Like she would just sort of disengage, I think. And that didn't serve you. Like, do you feel like it, I don't, by the way, this is not a Stacy. Uh, no, she's the best. the best. I think, you know, I think that like I knew things that would get her attention sort of. If someone was unkind to me, you know, she would sort of like hunt that person down. And (laughs) I remember always saying like, please be nice to them when they come back over, like we've made up. And I find myself doing the same thing, which is something I really didn't like. You know, when Ace tells me someone's unkind to him or he's left out, my ears perk up immediately. And I'm just like, oh, really? Tell me everything. You want to avoid getting the most engaged and the most bonded over those moments when your ears perk up because knowing you, you're like, I, this will not do. I am. No. And also I don't want to be handling it for him. You know, I don't want to be, and that's what it's sort of like come to, you You don't want to be a fix it person. No, no. I don't want to be like, you know, yeah, no. 
I mean, ideally he comes, he tells you those things and you say, well, you know, well, you don't have to say, tell me how that makes you feel because he's going to tell you, but you know, you just say, it sounds like you really are having a tough time. Thanks for sharing with me, but not engaging in what a piece of shit that kid is, that other kid is, excuse my language. I feel like you can handle it. I can. And, <laughs> and the less sort of perked up you get in your own, you know, that would require putting your hand on your heart when he says it, taking a breath and saying inside of your own head, like this other child who wronged him just had a moment. He's not the mm-hmm. enemy and I don't need to go seek revenge. Right. And everyone's going to be okay. But I know because you're fiercely loyal and it brings out that mama bear in you. And, but Ace knows that. Right. And and I think he sometimes looks to me to handle it for him. Right. So two things for him, one, knowing you believe he can handle it. Like, I know you know how to handle this. Do you want to throw out some ideas? Do you want to give me, you know, some of what's your plan? And then letting him come up with a plan. And if the other thing is to let him know, sometimes say something like, is this something you want to address with another person? Or is this something you feel like I'm going to let it roll off my back and it'll hurt my feelings for a second, but it's not worth a thing because it is important for tweens, which he is emerging adolescents need to understand that other you know, of course you have to honor yourself and stick up for yourself. And there is nothing that rolls off this child's back. Nothing. Right. And like and, he stubbed his toe even, and he's like limping. And I finally, you know, said to him last night, like, I'm not going to like know when you're really hurt because this is just, and he was like, mom, I'm hurt. And, uh, and I was just like, I was so, I felt so bad. And then he went to Rob and was like, mom doesn't care that I'm hurt. And she told me she doesn't believe that I'm hurt. And it was just like, you know. I mean, is there a way to say to him in the same thing with the friends as as it is with stubbing the toe, all of that is, I believe you feel you are hurting. I'm not Mm -hmm. worried about you. So there's a difference. Like you can stub your toe. It's actually a great analogy. Ace, you can stub your toe. And even though I am sad for you that you have to experience the temporary pain of stubbing your toe, you don't need to do anything about it. You don't need to go to the doctor. You don't need to have a Band-Aid. You don't need to do any proactive measures to fix your toe. Similarly, so just because you, you know, you're welcome to tell me you stubbed your toe, but it's not going to send me into action because as your mother, I'm aware that I, I can very quickly say to myself, he's safe. He's just, it just hurt. And there's no right. action to take. Right. And same thing with friends. There are going to be in the category of, is this, a, did you stub your toe or did someone cut your arm off and we need to resew it? And like, we have stuff we have to do here. And so those kinds of, social scenarios are analogous and it's the same thing was if it was a toe stubbing situation, he doesn't need to take action. Not all friends need to have relationships with you where they understand every deep feeling that you're having. Sometimes you just say, that's a friend who is a toe stubbing kind of experience. I can get through the toe stubbing experiences. And so it's worth it to me because they're on the playground and it's kind of fun and whatever. And then you say to him, but for the friends where it's like an actual injury that you need to take action on, that's a different story. Let's figure that out. What are you going to do? Same with his physical stuff. Same with any of his feelings is maybe just 
having that scale of understanding from toe stubbing to, I mean, he could come up with it, although I'm sure he would come up with too bad of a worst case scenario. And that's okay. It's just a little bit of an adjustment. My only pitch for you is, you know how hard it is to sit in that body all the time in walk through life. And it will be easier for him if he learns the range from toe stubbing where there's just nothing to do about it. Okay. So another thing about Ace is that one of his like really good friends, he like always wants to play with that friend, like always. And if the friend has other plans, he'll be like, well, can I come? And in my house, in my world, like, yes, of course you can, but not everybody feels that way, you know, and it's not bad or anything. And so like Ace, I guess like, we'll ask the parents, like, can I come? Can I come? And I guess like, it's hard for the parents to sort of like, I don't know, deal with, they let me know. And so I want to explain to Ace that like, I have actually two more Ace questions. I don't know. That's like not appropriate. I, 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 you know, that plans are really made by grownups, not kids. And then he always ends up feeling left out. You know, if the kid says actually, you know, no, sorry, you can't come, you know? So I think that the key thing here again is not to try to reason with Ace through the the experience, but to say, Ace, you can ask someone if you can join. But the deal is if you ask when you were not invited, you do run the risk of them saying, no, this is not something I wanted to do with you. And you might take it personally. It's not personal. So, okay. So I don't, so I can't say like, stop inviting, like stop asking because it makes you look desperate. (laughs) I mean, again, not in the heat of the moment, you could say, Ace, I've been noticing that you, you often ask people if you can join their activities and I wanted to talk about it with you. Okay. When you do that, how do you think it comes across to the other person? Can you imagine if you had plans with someone and you really liked another friend, but it just wasn't the right, that wasn't the plan that you had initially thought of or whatever. Um, can you imagine liking somebody, but not including them? get him to that place and then say, and if they asked you and you couldn't include them, does that change your feelings for them? No. Would you feel a little bit like it would be easier if they just hadn't asked because you know that if you could have included them, you could ask them. Presumably he'll say yes. And you could say, so the next time when you ask someone, when they already have a plan, know that you are opening yourself up to have your feelings hurt and it's okay but then you have to be comfortable with that because you're making that choice. Yeah. Okay. Then that's a good idea. I'll have that conversation with him. I love that idea actually. Cause instead I just get, I don't know. It's just. Well, you want to set him up. You're feeling like the dude, I want to set you up for social success. You sound right. desperate. Right. You don't need yeah, to be desperate. Exactly. And he's not, he's, you know, he's not. So I'm just like, yes, exactly. That's exactly right. But that's his journey. And part of, you know, But again, I would do it not at the time, you know, make the observation separately, not as a criticism, just an observation, and then have him almost come to that conclusion. He's 10 years old now, so you can walk him through what that might feel like and to just help him know if he does make that choice, then he's going to have to sit with with those uncomfortable feelings. Those are feelings he was setting himself up for. So he has to be prepared for that. Okay, and last question. I'm sorry, no, I've taken up a lot of time, although this is my time. Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> and the last question is every time we like 
have another family over or, you know, the a mom comes to pick up her kid or dad or whatever. And I'm talking with the mom or the dad in the kitchen. Ace just like zooms in and just will stay there. And I want to say to him, like, this is adult time and mm-hmm. you need to. And so what's the best way to do that? I would say before the date before the plans say, you know, we're having these friends over, they have their kids or they don't. Maybe it's just you're having adults over. Right, right. And so I want to make a sign with you. So it's not embarrassing where I'm letting you know, it's a grown up conversation. I need you to go in the other room. Okay. What is a good sign that great. only the two of us will understand? Okay, great. Because I think he does get embarrassed sometimes. And mm-hmm. I you know, I don't want him to feel like, and I also want him to, he can be wherever he wants, but it's, it's inappropriate for like, yeah. you, you know, can say sometimes, you know, other, other grownups have conversations they want to have. We had them over and we don't want a 10 year old's ears. And so those times I want to be able to sort of privately let you know, so that I don't make a thing of it in front of everybody else, but I also need you to go in the other room. Okay. Have you heard the research on the orchid, the dandelion, the tulip? No, no. It's kind of beautiful, but it's a way of looking at temperament. And this Mm -hmm. Dr. Thomas Boise came up with this research. But basically it's that there are some people, highly sensitive people who are like orchids. And orchids thrive and grow more beautifully than any other flower almost, except if they do not have the right environment. They are just so much more prone to not thriving because they are more sensitive to the environment. Those are orchid babies. And then you have dandelions where they are weeds. They could grow in almost anything. You just They need some moderate, you know, a reasonable amount of sunlight, water, and soil, and they'll grow. You have yourself an orchid kid and you are an yeah. orchid kid. Yeah. And so you understand... Orchids. They're so beautiful and they thrive when they're given the opportunity. So every time you feel like he can't handle something, remind yourself that part of your environment that you're giving this orchid is to teach him that he is going to feel really hard feelings and survive because he has like the overall general loving, supportive, consistent environment of his home. Right. where there's space to have hard feelings and he'll come out the other side. He'll still wake up in the morning, have a loving you know, family, eat breakfast, move along with his day. And so the more times that's reinforced just through allowing him to have those experiences without your own nervous system going haywire because you're like, what's happened to my son? He's going to be miserable. The more you're sort of raising that big, beautiful orchid instead of the one that's that I would have because I have never been able to grow an orchid. They always just end up soil. (laughs) So just think about that. You are a beautiful orchid and you have a beautiful orchid child and orchids need special care, but special care does not mean you have to walk on eggshells with them. Right. And I think that that's what I've been doing with all of my kids. And then in turn, creating maybe a little bit more anxiety or more sort of behaviors that I'm not loving. And then it brings out your own fear, like, oh my God, they're going to be like me and have these struggles with anxiety. But it's a cycle because you have to keep reminding yourself that you cannot protect them from anxiety, sadness, hard feelings. You can just give them the tools to feel safe and supported in those feelings. 